The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Today we start a book uh, in the book of Acts today. We start a brand new series in the book of Acts today. Acts is sort of this just getting started type of book. Jesus has spent three years doing what Jesus did. He preached and he healed and he gathered crowds and sort of his final act was to die and to be put in a grave and then to come out of the grave. And so Jesus does this, does what he does. And after three years, his final act is his death, burial, and resurrection. And the reality of Jesus's ministry in only three years is that it really only expanded and spanned a hundred miles from Jerusalem to Caesarea Philippi. It's like Lancaster to Newport, Jesus had nowhere near the fame and the notoriety of a guy like Justin Bieber. Yet the book of Acts is going to detail for us how Jesus becomes the most favored human on the entire planet. And so the author of the book of Acts, his name is Luke. He also wrote one of the gospels. He's going to write this book. He's going to write it as a record of how the gospel begins to spread in the modern world and how eventually it's going to spread, how he's going to tell us by the power of the Holy Spirit of God to the entire world. And so when we read the book of Acts, we should not read the book of Acts as this historical book. Yes, there is history in it. It's going to tell us how things progress, but it's not just a historical book. It's going to draw us into the story of the spread of God's Fame. It's going to show us God's plan for the local church. Listen to me. Acts is going to show us the plan for the local church to be the distribution point for the fame of God. And so in the book of Acts, we have this just getting started story. It's as if Jesus, even though he's died, he's completed his ministry. It's as if Jesus is just getting started. I want to preach a message today titled, The End of of the beginning, the end of the beginning. Acts chapter one, starting in verse one, I'm going to make up our way all the way through verse eight this morning. And I'm going to be conscious of your time because I know you're hot and some of you are in the sun. And so we're going to, I'm going to be conscious this morning. Acts chapter one, starting in verse one, the scripture says in my former book, Theophilus, Luke, the author here wrote the gospel of Luke. He also wrote the gospel of Luke to Theophilus, probably a young believer. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus, now listen to what Luke says. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after Jesus giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So Acts is this continuation Acts is this continuation of all that Jesus did, all that Jesus taught. And when we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus completed his work. God sent him to earth. He had a very specific purpose. He had a very specific reason. He completed all that God had sent him to do. Yet when we read the Gospels, we never see this description of Jesus' work and his mission as being finished. We read the story of Jesus in John chapter 17, verse 4. Jesus says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, Jesus finished his work, but the mission of God is never described in the entire Bible as being complete, as being done, as being finished. And so the book of Acts is going to tell us here 
It's going to tell us that even though Jesus had completed what he was sent to do, the mission of Jesus, the work of Jesus is still going on. There's no finished here in Jesus's mission. We see at the end of the book of Acts, when we read all the way to the end, Acts chapter 28, the story just kind of ends. It just stops. It ends abruptly. It's this idea that the story is continuing. The mission is living on. And so Winston Churchill, in the midst of World War II exploding, he gives a speech to the House of Commons. He's trying to curb enthusiasm. They're all thinking we've experienced this great victory in North Africa. And so he's trying to curb enthusiasm. And he gives a speech to the House of Commons. And he says to them, this is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end. Maybe it's the end of the beginning. And the book of Acts is the end of the beginning. Of the spread of the gospel. Of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. When Jesus died. When Jesus died, the message of Christianity only spread a little over 100 miles from Jerusalem north to Caesarea Philippi. You go west a little bit to Phoenicia and Tyre. A little over 100 miles. It would be like, the, it would be like Jesus' fame had spread from Lancaster to Newport Beach. It only spread so far when Jesus had died. But listen, but listen, but listen, but Jesus is going to make a promise here in the book of Acts <laughs> that the gospel is eventually going to overpower the entire world. It's going to weave its way into every fragment of society, every tribe on the planet, every language group in the entire world. The gospel is going to have an opportunity to be known by every person on the planet. Some people say in the midst of coronavirus, is this the end of the world? According to Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, the end of the world is nowhere near because the gospel has not been taken to the ends of the earth. Matthew 24, 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Revelation 7, 9. So Matthew 24, 14, Jesus gives this prophetic uh, a thought that the world will never come to an end until the gospel goes to every tribe, every tongue, every people, every language, every person on the planet. And then in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, we get this, this, this 2020 hindsight view. John is standing before the throne of God, and this is what he sees. And after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. You see, when Jesus was crucified, it's not the end of Jesus' influence. It's not the end of the gospel's influence. It's simply the end of the beginning. And so Acts is going to tell us that the gospel, how it's going to spread around the early church, and then how it's going to end abruptly here. And then for 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ, including Story City Church and every church in our city this morning, how we are now picking up where the first century church left off. You know, sometimes when leaders exit the scene, movements die. You know, if you're a famous musician, you're a famous uh, a songwriter, sometimes you die and they still sell your records. If you're Michael Jackson or you're the Beatles, they still sell your records. But sometimes when leaders die, the movements die. When leaders exit the scene, they die. But when Jesus left the earth, Jesus is very specific. He's got a group of men and women. He's got apostles and he's got early believers and he's going to leave them the same thing that he leaves to us 
today. Now, I want you to hear what Jesus leaves to them because it's very important. It's very important, the life of Story City Church. I believe we're also at the end of the beginning. We're a very young church in our city, but I believe we're coming to the end of the beginning of our season. And so what Jesus left the apostles is the same thing he's leaving us today. And I want you to hear what those are because it's very important this morning. Pay attention. Verse 3, after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. And so verse 3 tells us here that Jesus appears to his disciples over a period of 40 days after he dies. The story is Jesus is crucified, he's buried, he rises. And then after he rises, he's got 40 days to spend with his disciples. Can you imagine 40 days with Jesus? He's teaching them everything they need to know, everything they need to believe before he moves on, how they can fulfill the mission. When we read Luke chapter 24, the same author of the book of Acts, Luke chapter 24 tells us that Jesus meets a couple disciples on the road and he meets them and they're in shock because Jesus has died. Their dreams have died with him and now they're going back to what they used to do. Yet Jesus meets them on the road and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me explain to you from the Old Testament how the entire Old Testament points to me. And now here in the last 40 days on earth, Jesus has a few things left that he's going to teach his disciples, things that they need to know, things that they need to be reminded of, things that they need to know before they're launched into the mission of God. Listen to me, church. These are the same truths that compel us into God's mission to here in Los Angeles. And let me tell you what that first truth is. The first truth that Jesus taught the disciples during those 40 days was the reality of his resurrection. It was the reality of his resurrection. Verse 3 tells us, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs. Listen to what it says. That he was, what? Alive. Forty days earlier, when Jesus goes to the grave and they put him in the tomb, the disciples are skeptical that Jesus is alive. And who wouldn't blame them, right? It's not a common everyday experience that people die and come back to life. And so they're skeptical that Jesus is actually alive. In fact, we read that in Mark chapter 16, verse 11. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, in other words, Mary Magdalene came back and said, Jesus is not in the grave any longer. They did not believe it. Verse 12, afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. And these returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. And so we have disciples who are skeptical that Jesus is still living. May I say to you this morning, the entire message of Christianity, the crux of Christianity rests on this truth that Jesus was brutally murdered. He was put in a tomb and he's no longer there. And faith in that resurrection, faith in that resurrection is the spiritual power that the early believers needed. If Jesus is in fact dead, church, may I say to us, we're speechless. If Jesus is dead, we are speechless. So most of the people when Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem, they knew that Jesus had died. It was a common occurrence. You don't heal people and you don't preach to people and you don't gather people like Jesus did and then be brutally murdered and not know that that man was put to death. But most of them did not know that he was still alive, that he'd been raised from the dead. That was the message of the early believers. Listen to me, church. That's the same message we have today. It's the same message the church in Los Angeles has today. Jesus is alive. It's 
It's the crux of Christianity. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Listen to me. And, and please hear me. Christianity is not, is not a social justice movement. Christianity is not a compassion movement. Christianity is not a political movement. There are elements of all of those things in what we believe. But the crux of the movement is that Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins. That's the crux of the message. He was buried. He's now alive. And because he's now alive, he's overcome sin. He's also overcome death. And he offers salvation to those of us who will believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And this is one of the last things that Jesus is going to teach his disciples before he leaves earth. And so it's this conviction. It's this conviction that Jesus is a substitute for sinners. It's this conviction that Jesus is just not any other prophet. He's just not any other religious leader. He's not just any other religious message. It's this conviction that, that he's God himself. He's on a rescue operation to save us. We crucified him. We are his rebellious children. God the creator, though, came in the greatest irony, in the greatest story. And when we murdered him, his sacrificial death was the payment that God accepted for our sins, if we will acknowledge it and receive it. And so they believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. They believe, some of them, by the way, against their own will. Some of them believed against their own will that Jesus had, in fact, risen from the dead. And here's why it was against their own will. Because some of them didn't have this view of a Messiah who would die a brutal death, who would die in weakness. They were loyal Jews. They wanted justice for the people who had come before them. They wanted justice for their own people. And the apostles understood that if it's true that Jesus was buried and crucified and rose from the grave, it was the greatest act of grace ever imagined. The creator, God himself, died for his rebellious children. And it was the most important message ever given because why? It's our only hope of salvation. Listen to me, church. That's our message here in Los Angeles. That's our message around the world, wherever you're listening today. If it's true, then that means there's not multiple ways to God. If there are other ways of salvation, God would have never put his son through the agony of the cross. Don't you imagine? When Jesus is praying in the garden, when Jesus is praying in the garden and he says, Father, if there's another way, let this cup pass from me. If there was another way, don't you believe God would have said, well, actually there are other ways. You can just be good. You can just be kind. You can just be sincere and, and God will accept you. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the apostles believed it. And we believe the same message today. The apostles summarized in Acts chapter 4 verse 12. Salvation is found in no, other, no, no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And they not only believed that message, but they would take that message all over the modern known world. Later, when we read through the book of Acts, we're going to see that these apostles are dragged in front of the religious leaders. Not once, not twice, but multiple times. They're going to be dragged in front of the religious leaders, and the religious leaders will literally look them in the eyes and say to them, shut up. Stop talking about Jesus. 
And the apostles believed the message so much, they would say to those men and those women, you do what you need to do. But as for us, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Do you believe that message as well? Do you believe that message as well? There's no such thing as somebody who believes that message and sits on the sidelines. The second truth that Jesus taught them was the coming of his kingdom. The second truth that Jesus said, this is vitally important that you know before the mission of God spreads is he taught them about the coming of his kingdom. Verse 3, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. You know, it's obvious when you read the gospels, even when you read this passage here, the, the, the apostles had this strong political view. They're loyal Jews, as I mentioned. They had this strong political view that, 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 that there was a coming Messiah who's going to rule a kingdom. That their, their fathers and their forefathers lived under oppression. Their forefathers and, uh, lived under captivity. And so they longed for this ruling political leader who was going to right all the wrongs that they had ever experienced. And so it's clear when you read this, the, the apostles, you read it here, even in verse 6, the apostles are thinking about their own positions, their own privileges, their own kingdom that they're wanting. But may I say to you this morning, the kingdom that Jesus teaches them about and the kingdom that Jesus establishes is not presently what they were hoping for. Now, let me explain the kingdom to you for just a moment. There's a present future reality to the kingdom of God. There's a present future reality to the kingdom of God. The present reality of the kingdom of God is a spiritual reality. It's a kingdom where Jesus rules your heart. It's a kingdom where Jesus rules my mind. It's a kingdom where Jesus rules our souls. Jesus is the first thought. Jesus is the last thought. Jesus is the king over my family. Jesus is the king over my finances. Jesus is the king over my vocation. The present reality of the kingdom of God is that it's a spiritual one. Romans 14, 17 tells us that for the kingdom of God is not a matter of, listen to what Paul says, of eating and drinking. In other words, there's some physical aspects of the kingdom of God, but the primary aspect of the kingdom of God presently, listen to what Paul says, is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now listen, the present kingdom of God, the present reality of the kingdom of God also gives us a glimpse of the future kingdom of God. Here's why. Because the present reality of the kingdom of God is one and such that God is in the process of restoring everything back to the way it was originally intended to be. That's why we fight for marriages being restored. That's why we fight for the restoration of our cities. That's why we fight for the reconciliation among people and races. The present reality of the kingdom of God gives us a glimpse into the future reality, but we will never, ever fully grasp the coming kingdom of God until the day that Jesus returns and we're finally able to get a glimpse in its totality. But may I say to us this morning, it's an important function and reality and purpose in the church today. Why is it important? Because we work towards the restoration of all things in our city, in our homes, in our lives. Why? Because one day that's how it's going to be. 
But the future kingdom of God will be everything that our hearts long for. Some of you are wrestling through very difficult seasons in life right now. Man, it's hot up here. (laughs) Some of you are wrestling through extraordinarily difficult seasons of life. And the reason you can endure those difficult seasons of life is because the future kingdom of God will be one that fulfills everything our hearts are longing for. Be one where God rules our hearts. He rules over every created thing around us. In fact, the book of Isaiah chapter 11 tells us, and it describes the coming day. Listen to the description of the coming kingdom of God. The wolf will lie with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf, and the lion, and the yearling together, and listen to who's going to rule over them. And the little child will lead them all. You don't put the little child in present day reality with the lion. You don't put the little child in present day reality with the leopard, but one day when the kingdom of God fully comes to fruition, all of those will coexist together and the child will lead them. It's the day our hearts were created for. It's the reason we can endure in a painful and a cruel world. And we live in this imperfect world, but we capture glimpses of the future glory of God and the future coming kingdom of God for everybody who trusts in him. Now, let me give you the third one and we're almost done. There's a third truth that Jesus wants to teach the disciples in those 40 days. And it's a truth about the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a truth about the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to verse four. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John the Baptist baptized with water, But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Last year, I preached a message from Luke chapter 6, verse 14 through 16, and I titled the message, Unusual Suspects. And when you parse out who it is that Jesus called to himself to lead a world movement, then you you find this this really strange scene. Never before was there such an important message and such an important job and such an important purpose given to such an unqualified group of people. But here in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, we find out why Jesus could call them. We find out We find out why he could take such an unusual group of people. It's because the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God would guide them in a world-changing ministry. In every chapter in Acts, you read every chapter in the book of Acts, and you get this sense that the church is simply following the lead of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the real mover. The Holy Spirit is the one working in people over here. The Holy Spirit is the one moving believers in this direction. And they simply yield themselves to the Spirit of the living God. I ask you, have you yielded yourself to the Holy Spirit of God? Now more than ever in this season of life, even at Story City Church, it's going to require us to be yielded to the Holy Spirit of God. We get to the end of the book of Acts. There's no real ending. Paul goes to Rome. He wants to preach the gospel. He winds up in prison. Now listen, this is how it ends. And it just ends. Paul goes to preach the gospel. He's in prison and the story just ends. 
The reason is because the end of the beginning of the mission of God has just begun. And now the spirit of the living God is moving you. The spirit of the living God is moving us. The spirit of the living God is moving me. The spirit of the moving, living God is moving our church into other people's lives to finish the great commission. Now let me close out this passage with the last couple verses. Verse 6. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You can even see there in that one verse, that one question, that they've got this exterior view of the kingdom of God, this political view. And Jesus says to them, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. Now listen to verse 8, and if you've been around church, you've heard this a really long time. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, Los Angeles, and to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. I know it's football season, and I'm praying desperately for a football season. I see the Giants are represented this morning. I know it's football season, so forgive my, my, my winning and my losing analogy, but the truth according to the scriptures is that the church wins. <laughs> we cannot lose. It's Jesus' promise here. We're attached to this winning and this enduring promise of God. The church is going to thrive. Hear me, hear me, hear me this morning, Story City. The church is going to thrive. The church is going to expand. The gospel is going to evangelize. The gospel is going to save people to the very utter ends of the earth. Now, when you read verse 8, and I want to read it one more time, I want, you, I want you to read it as a direct statement to you. A direct statement to you. But you, put your name here. But you, Matt and Laura, you, Story City Church, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. This is the mission statement of the book of Acts. What the entire book is about. The mission of God is moving through Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and Los Angeles and to the ends of the earth. And may I say to you, it's always been God's plan. Are you moving with God's plan this morning? Are you allowing the mission of God to move through you, to move through our city? It's the reason why we planted a church here in 2016. It's the mission of God. It's the only reason we planted a church here in 2016 is the mission of God. To see people far from God come to life in Jesus Christ, to see people who know Christ to give their lives for the glory of God, for the mission of God in our city. It's the only reason we planted a church here. Are you moving with God's plan? 
I really believe we're at the end of the beginning of the mission of God at Story City Church. This church has a bright future. It's not because of a pastor. It's not because of a group of elders. It's not because of a group of incredibly gifted leaders. It's not because of an incredibly gifted worship team. It's because Jesus died and came out of the grave. It's because God is still renewing things here in Los Angeles. It's because the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God is active and available to every person in this church. We're only just beginning. Would you make a commitment to the mission of God this morning? I want the best for you and your life. I want the best for this church and I want the best for our city. And what's best for all three of those things is when the glory of Jesus has so compelled us with the urgency for the mission of God in our church, in our city, and around the world. This church is going to thrive. Story City is going to expand. The gospel is going to evangelize. And the gospel is going to save people to the very utter ends of the earth. Let's pray. God, thank you today for your church. Thank you for the mission of God. That you give us the privilege to participate in, to be a part of. God, thank you for this church. God, we don't rest in one person or a group of people or talents or abilities or gifts. God, we rest in the fact that you died and you're no longer there. We rest in the fact that you're still renewing things in our city. We rest in the fact that the power of the Holy Spirit is enabling us to be a part of the mission of God today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.